Okay, so a, uh, a few weeks ago, I was um, thinking about where we might go, what we might do, and uh, for some reason ended up on this uh, poem, which was, came about in the 1880s, and of course it's to do with marriage, but actually it was a little launch pad into some things I felt God wanted to say to us. So we've talked about, I started off talking about something old, something new, and then I've been talking about something borrowed. Today I want to go back to something old and something new, and... We'll talk about something blue and a silver sixpence in a shoe at some point in time. Um, but for now, we're going to talk about something about old and new. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. That might be a familiar word to you, they may not be familiar words to you, but what they really mean is that when you understand the love of Jesus towards you, and when you understand that his heart towards you is absolutely incredible, then something happens that's new on the inside of you. And something that was old goes, and something that's new comes. And um, what's interesting is uh, the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, uh, or the written versions are in Greek. And Greek's an incredibly great language, because there are two different words for new. So let me recap these, or tell you for the first time if you want to hear. So one of the words for new is, have you got there, Josh? There we go, is neos, which means new in the sense of time, and the clock, and the latest thing, the the newer version, the best model, whatever, the latest winner of whatever program, that's neos. But then there's another word in Greek called kainos. Kainos is different. Kainos means new in terms of freshness. It's got nothing to do with age in terms of time, but it's about what is fresh, what's got a fresh feel to it. Because sometimes things that are old can feel really new. And that's what the Bible often talks about. It talks about this kainos, in fact, in that verse we read, it, it doesn't say neos, it says kainos, something fresh comes, something alive comes, something that maybe millennia old can actually be incredibly new. And the problem is that we live, you live, in a neos culture. You live in a culture that's constantly seeking the next new thing, the next new solution, the next new fad, the next new tech, the next new diet, the next new cleaning product, the next new shoe, the next new whatever. Like everything about our culture is consumed with you getting the newest, the latest, the best, the brightest, the shiniest. And whether you know it or not, when you live in that culture, you start to think like the culture unless you're really careful. So we are hardwired, it seems, for a quick fix, a new solution, no matter what. And what happens is this, this kind of addiction to neos, if you like, means that we have this mentality that old is bad and new is good. So if it's new, it must be good. Intrinsically, we have this thought, many of us, that if it's new, it's good. Even if it costs a lot of money and doesn't give us much benefit, it's still new, therefore it's like desirable. And of course, you get sold that in all sorts of different ways. But new is not necessarily good, and old is not necessarily bad. There seems to be this general sense that if new's good and old's bad, then anyone who is older is therefore perhaps not good. But I just want to tell you that I am so grateful for those that are older than me. I'm so grateful and thankful to those who have gone before me. And I'm so grateful to have people of all generations in our family because of who they are and what they bring. And there's this interesting thing in there, whereby like, it seems to me, in many people's minds, that when you get older, you get put into the prayer pasture. You know, we talk about putting people out to pasture, and it's like, well, they're old now, so now they're going to pray. <laughs> Which is interesting on two fronts, because first of all, 
since when did only older people pray? And since when was the only thing older people could do was pray? But there is this interesting thought that, like, that's what happens. But actually, prayer is everyone's responsibility. Prayer for this household is everyone's responsibility. And it's not the preserve of the older, nor is it the only thing they can do. Because no matter how old you are, you can offer something. And everyone of every age can and should be offering their prayers for themselves and for everyone else. And if Moses started his ministry at 80, well, I mean, he did. He started at 80. 40 years of life is in the palace, 40 years in the desert, and at 80, God went, okay, now you're ready to do what I'm telling you to do. And then he got up and did some great stuff. And I, I love it. I just want to encourage you. I, however young or however old you are, there's lots to do. Lots to do. And prayer's one of them for everybody, and then there's lots more. But above and beyond that, there's lots to do. There isn't such a thing as a prayer pasture that you get put out to, because that's the only thing you can do. There's a prayer pasture that we're all in all the time. Okay. One of the more, we, we did our, you know we're doing this bereavement training thing to look after kids and families, and this is all, it's been in the news lately, it's all progressing. One of the greatest things, we had this training session, and we got taught how to deliver this course, and it was, it was brilliant. But one of the greatest blessings was that we had people from the 20s right through to their 80s, and I just thought that was wonderfully good. And in fact, the lady who was training Nicola, she said to me, oh, you've got a brilliant bunch of people. I love the fact that you've got all those generations. She said, that's going to be fantastic. I thought, it's great. Bless me a lot. Matthew 13. That were a little aside. Matthew 13, 52. Every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is Jesus speaking, and I love it. Because Jesus goes, no, there's new things, and it's the word kainos, so it's actually fresh things. And then there's old things. In other words, Jesus wasn't constantly bringing all these new things. In fact, Jesus... Often, in fact, everything Jesus did was built on the old. You think Jesus brought some new things. So, for example, the Lord's Prayer wasn't actually new. It was based on an old Jewish prayer that was already there. He just changed it a little bit. In terms of everything he said, he built, he said, well, we've said this before. This is what went before, but now we're going to this whole new place where it's not about this external laws, but it's about your heart. So we're going to build on this. We're going to make it even better and come to this new place. He just built all the time on what had gone before and everything that he did. And he brought out these new things, and then he did these old things. But in order to find kindness, in order to find freshness, we have to be willing to explore that which we think is old. Which will mean dealing with our addiction to the new. We have to break this Neos thinking that says there isn't anything good that I've done before, and that only shiny new things are excellent. Have you got this next slide? As I was thinking and praying about this, I sensed this. In the coming days, there is greater life to be found than ever before in something you already possess or something you already know how to do or with someone you already know. I felt like it were a word for us as a house. In the coming days, there is greater life to be found than ever before in something you already possess, in something you already know how to do or in somebody you already know. Stop searching for the brand new Neos thing. You don't need it. God's already given you it. There are some things that you used to do that you've stopped doing that brought your life and you've stopped doing them. There are some people you used to meet with that brought your life and you've stopped meeting with them. There are some things you used to do, some, and, and let's, 
There's a story in the Old Testament of a man called Elijah who was having a tough time of it. I mean, people wanted to kill him and the people he was teaching weren't listening to him. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. So he runs off and it's, it's the bit where he goes in this cave and there's an earthquake and there's a storm and eventually he hears God in the still small voice. But then God says to him in 1 Kings 19.15, this is what he's got to do. Go back the way you came. You know, and then <clears throat> he goes back, in other words, go back to what you were doing because you were doing it right. You just got upset and you got hurt and people didn't like it. But I never said they'd like it. I never said you wouldn't get hurt. I just said go and do it. And he goes back and he starts anointing people and that's when he meets Elisha who actually takes him on and, and there's a whole new generation of this thing that happens because he had to go back to what he came from because he'd missed something. And because the pain had, had led him away from what he was meant to do. That happens a lot. We're doing something, maybe we're in a relationship and the pain takes us away. But if pain's taken you away, that's not God. If God led you away, that's a whole other thing. But if pain's taken you away, well, God, God doesn't use pain to take you away because God doesn't give you pain. So if pain took you away from a practice, from a discipline, from a relationship, from an organisation, you have to go, okay, well, maybe I need to deal with that then because maybe there's a going back to be done. What might it mean for you to go back the way you came? What do you need to revisit? What do you need to pick up that you've dropped? Who do you need to reconnect with that was good for you but for some reason you've lost touch. It might be a song you used to listen to. It might be a book that's already on your bookshelf. It might be a practice, a discipline. But I just get this strong sense that in our own lives and battles, we don't need to learn anything neos. I could read enough books for four years without buying another one, just by reading the ones I've already got on my shelves. Well, there's a new one. I'm going to get this new one now. And I'm going to get, and I'm going to get this new latest album. Yeah, but there's, there's one you've had for ten years that's in it somehow. There's some power in it. There's some anointing in it. There's something in it. E even reading this book, I, I'm, I've been encouraged by some reports I've heard of those who've taken up my challenge to read this Bible more. Particularly, I know some of you are doing this five-by-five five reading plan where you just read a chapter a day, five minutes a day. And, and twice now, I know somebody said to me, I'm reading pages I've read before and I'm just crying as I'm reading it. What is that? Freshness. They went back to something they know how to do. Somebody else told me they, they read this verse and it was like, wow, now, I, now that means that. Oh yeah, fantastic. Something that they just heard that was fresh and new. And if you've, it's, it's brilliant. I think there are still some at the back. It's just, it's one chapter of the New Testament a day and it takes five minutes. Uh, that's the idea. And you only do it five days a week so you have two days off or two days to catch up. Honestly, pick it up, run with it. And just, you know, because we do this, we get these reading plans and oh, I can't start now, it's February. Well, why don't you just start on today? Just start on today. And if you miss three days, just do today's. Like, at least, then you've read it twice a week. Well, if you're reading it none, you're doing better, aren't you? We can get incredibly good at beating ourselves up about doing better. It's ridiculous. Okay. This whole idea of finding freshness in the old, it's all about how you see things. Revelation 21 and verse 5. And this is talking about Jesus. Jesus was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Now again, that may be some words that you are familiar with. It may not. But what does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus said, I am making everything new? Because very often, and there's a verse in Isaiah that I'll mention in a minute that says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And it's like, it's often talked about and prophesied and all that. But what does that mean? 
Because most often I think, we think that means God's going to do something external. God's going to bring some neos thing, some new thing, some new person, some new book, some new CD, some new words, some new prophecy, some new encouragement. Something new is going to happen out there and come in. But what if, what if something new could actually happen on the inside and then go out? What if the new thing was something in you that built you, that caused new things to happen all around you? What if we're so consumed with Neos that even when God says he's going to do a new thing, we're waiting for something new to come to us? What happens if it's already done and he's waiting for you while working? And according to these words, Jesus is making everything new. Now, I know these, these words are from a book uh, called Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, and lots of people see that book as like what they call the end times, this time when, I don't know, something's going to happen and all sorts of things gone. And it is about that, but it's also about a lot of other stuff. Because it was written in 100 AD to a bunch of people who were being oppressed. So some of it's really a, it's a piece of politically subversive literature as well as perhaps speaking about that. But I don't believe that he's making everything new eventually. I believe he's making everything new now. And I don't believe it because of that. Have you got this next slide? Four different scriptures written by three different people. First of all, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. This is written by Paul. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Jesus, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. Paul again in Colossians. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Acts 3.21, heaven must receive him, this is Peter speaking, until a time comes for God to restore everything as he long ago promised. He seems to me God is in a renewal and restoration and reconciliation. It seems to me God is in a bringing things back together. And according to Ephesians 1, God has pleasure in doing that. It's God's good pleasure to bring unity to everything. Unity to everything in heaven and on earth. It's God's God's pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven. So it's all things. So what's he going to do? Well, it says all things in heaven and earth. It says all things. It says all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. It says everything. What does that mean? Surely they meant to say, well, it's, it's good things or Jewish things or everybody who said yes to Jesus. But it doesn't mean that. It means everything. It means all of creation. It means whether it's a created being which you are and all the plants of the earth and the trees of the field, and it means everything. That's the heart of God. It's to renew and to restore and to redeem absolutely everything. The question is when? Well, Jesus said this. In fact, he taught us to pray. This then is how you shall pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, and this is not a, a prayer that you're meant to kind of recite, it's a, it's a model of prayer about the things we're meant to pray about, I believe. But the will of the Father is to restore, to renew, to reconcile, to redeem everything. And Jesus, when I want you to pray that what happens in heaven, which is that redeeming, happens right here, right now. And many people think of heaven as this kind of faraway geographical place where we go and we physically die, as long as we've passed certain initiation rites, of saying a certain prayer at a certain time in a certain way. And lots of people say we have to tell people about Jesus because if we don't, they might end up in a place they call hell. 
What lots of people who talk about that forget, or seem to not realise, is that lots and lots of people don't need to wait until they die to experience the place they called hell, because they're in it. Because poverty and anxiety and depression and loneliness and pain and separation and a heartache and addiction, people live with those things, and what is that if it's not hell? Hell, as far as I understand, is a separation from God. Well, we don't have to wait to die to experience that because at some point in our lives, we all already experienced it until we met Jesus and then we experienced heaven, which is life with God. You say, I want people to know about Jesus because I want heaven to come to earth today. I want people to be released from the hell they're currently in to live in a place more like heaven now. And I know, I know this is not the fullness of heaven, but it's a glimpse of it. It's a glimpse of it. If you've met Jesus, you've glimpsed it. If you've experienced something of life and love and peace and grace and joy, you've experienced it already. And it's just going to get more. And the whole point is you're meant to experience more of heaven every day by walking with him so it gets more and more on the inside of you. And then everywhere you go, people are going, what the chuff's going on with you? Oh, I'm just walking around with heaven on the inside of me. (laughs) Would you like some? We're designed to bring heaven to earth so we can be partners in the thing that God is doing, which is to redeem and to reconcile and to restore and to renew. One of the problems is that we're not very good at perceiving how this renewal works. So in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And for most of us, it's, uh, no. Not really. And that's the problem. Because we're looking for this neos, we're looking for this new thing to come in, this new wonderful solution to all our problems, when really, there's just a freshness, a Jesus, that is the answer to all your problems. Another word for renew or to restore might be to retell. And God does a new thing by retelling our stories, one story at a time. You see, your story, your life has been told one way, through your eyes. But what if it could be retold? What if your story could be told through a different lens and from a different perspective? What if you could be healed of the pain and there could be a totally different way to tell your story? What if your story could be retold? And what if in that retelling there would be renewal and restoration? You see, if you've got a bad story and you tell that story, you don't miss out the terrible bits because that's what makes it a bad story. In fact, often, particularly if you've already been there and got through it and you can smile about it, you will make the bad bits even bigger. You emphasise the bad bits, because that's what makes a story. So this is a picture we got there, Josh. It's a little while ago. I know you don't want to put this picture up. So this is, uh, I've told this story before a little while ago, but this is a story, uh, we were in, is it France? We were in France on holiday, uh, and in the Dordogne, is that right? Yeah, we were in the Dordogne. Thank you, Joshua. And uh, in, a, in a mobile home in May, and basically it rained most days, and it didn't get above 18 degrees, and it, it, it wasn't the best. So we heard there were these Roman ruins, and I think Josh or Isaac were doing Romans. Great, let's go see the Roman ruins. We'll at least make it educational. Uh, these were the Roman ruins, and that was as close as you could get, and that was it. All right, so that didn't work very well. So we had a look and went, okay, that's, a good, that's great. What should we do now? Um, it's also, have you got the next picture, Joshua? This is ours. As you can see, he's absolutely, look at Isaac with his little smile, his teeth. <laughs> this is Josh on the right, and Alyssa's somewhere in there, fast asleep, bless her. 
Um, As you can see, it's absolutely hurting now. Now, when I tell that story now, the rain is monsoon. All right, the ruins were atrocious. We wandered around this town where everything was shut, and it was actually everything. It was just, it was just terrible. <laughs> everything was shut. We eventually found a, a patisserie, and I went, okay, I'll treat the kids. And then I, you complained about something about it. What was wrong with it? I don't know. And we tried, you know, I think he thought it was chocolate, and it was raisins. I don't know. I, I, it just all went wrong, basically. The entire thing was terrible. But the point is this. There's two stories of every story. Now I can laugh about it, and it's a little story. But my, my, own, my own story, I, I could tell a story about loss and being widowed, or I could tell a story about receiving an incredible gift. There's two ways to tell a story. And that's the thing, you see. When God renews and restores, perhaps he means that he wants to work with you to tell a different version of your story. Maybe there's your version of your story. And maybe there's God's version of your story. And maybe part of this role of learning to live life with Jesus is learning to see God's story and receiving his version and listening to his version. We all have our stories, the journey of our lives, but God wants to show you a different version and a different perspective, and he wants to do it in every part of your life because he's interchanging all things. There is no arena no part of your life that God does not want to restart. And, and he's, he's not going to, he can't wipe away the terrible bits, although he'd love to, but because of the way the world's set up, we can't go in and around, he can't wipe them away. But he can give you a different perspective. And he can heal the pain from it. And you can tell a different story. But listen, how does it happen? If you want your story to be retold, you first have to tell it. Nobody can retell your story until you've first told your story. So there's got to be a, a telling of your story from your perspective. And then you have to be willing to see your story through a different lens. You have to go, okay, this is my story. This is what it's like. This is what happened. But then you have to be willing for God to go, okay, let me tell you my version of events. Let me tell you how I see your story. Let me tell you what I was thinking and where I was. Let me tell you what I did. Let me, let me point out things that you don't, didn't see in your story. That doesn't mean we pass over or remove the difficult or painful parts. It means we have to first share those difficult and painful parts so we can see them in a different light. That is the challenge of discipleship and owning the character of Jesus that I've been talking about. And it boils down to one simple choice. Which version of events will you choose to believe? You see, God is in the business of renewing and restoring and reconciling everything, and he's in the business of doing it now. Every single part of your life and being, he wants to restart and renew and redeem. Nothing is left out. I absolutely believe that, and I believe it's for anybody and everybody who wants it to be renewed and restored. But which version of events will you choose to believe? Your version of yourself, of the people around you, of the world you live in? Or will you, as Anne said, dare to believe and trust? I think Sharon actually, I trust in his version of events. Because that picture of the Aladdin, that's exactly what God does. Okay, that, that's your story. That's what you've believed and told yourself, and that's what you've lived with. But let me tell you my story. Will you step out and trust my story? Will you trust my version of events? Will you be willing to seek freshness out of that which is old? Will you be willing to do things his way? Will, allow your story to, will you allow your story to be retold by the one who saw it all from the beginning 
And will you share your story with someone on an ongoing basis in this journey we call discipleship so that your whole story can be retold in a whole new way? You see, often we kind of, we think there's these big events and we go, okay, well, I can retell those bits, but God wants to retell every part of it, which means sharing every part of it because it can only be retold if it's first told. And that's why we talk all the time about discipleship and sharing and all that sort of stuff because it's important. Because you'll need some help. Somebody will be able to help you retell your story. But that's what it means to be changed and transformed. To see all of life through his lens. To see all of life from his perspective. And to come to rest in his healing and his love and his grace. You see... There's your version of events. There's God's version of events. And this journey of becoming like Jesus, this journey of discipleship, this journey of owning everything of his character, it really is, in one sense, as simple as going, I'm going to choose to believe your version of events. Because if your version of events is I'm not worth anything, well, his version of events is you're worth the whole world. And it's as simple as that. Whose version of events are you going to believe? If your version is, I'm going to be ill for the rest of my life, and his version is, you're healed. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you that your heart is to renew everything, Lord. And Lord I, I, Lord, I want to ask your forgiveness, Father, if we've ever, ever looked at parts of our lives and gone, no, that part can't be renewed. That part can't be restored. That relationship can't be reconciled. Father, if we've ever kind of cast off parts of our lives and that's never going to change, Father, we want to say sorry this morning because your word tells me that you want to restore, reconcile and redeem everything, Lord. Nothing is too broken. Nothing is in too many parts. Nothing is too smashed to bits, Father, for you to put it back together. And Lord, I want to thank you for every story that's already been renewed in this house, Father. Every story, Father, of loss and pain every story of hurt, Father, that, that you have retold that story, Father. And yes, all those things still happen, but somehow you retold that story to be beautiful. You turned it into stories of healing and restoration and reconciliation. And Lord, I want to say thank you, Lord, that that is what you do. I thank you that you are in a retelling our story, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.